Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Now Podcast. I'm Tara Honeywell, and today we are delving into the transformative world of mindfulness with a remarkable elementary school teacher. Not only has she embraced the practice herself, but she has taken it a step further by crafting her very own mindfulness program tailored for both children and teachers. She is the founder of themindfulteacher.co. She's a living testament to the impact of mindfulness. Having implemented her program in her own classroom, she's witnessed firsthand the profound results it can yield. Get ready to hear about the real, tangible changes that mindfulness can bring into the lives of young learners as we sit down with an educator who's not just talking the talk, but walking the mindful walk. Please join me in welcoming my next guest, Karen Myrick. So welcome, Karen. Thank you, Tara. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so we always start off with the tough question. But the first question is, who am I? Could you please tell our listeners a little bit about who is Karen? Yeah, that's a good one. It's a big one. <laughs> and I feel like it changes every day. But we'll, we'll start with the basics. So I was born and raised in Canada. And I moved to Sweden when I was 23, 24. I am an elementary school teacher, and I have been working at the International School, ISGR, here in Gothenburg for 20 years, maybe even 21 years. Wow. I am also a certified mindfulness instructor, and I've done additional training in mindfulness in schools. And I got my training in 2018, 2019. And since then, I've been bringing this amazing practice to my students, and I do it for myself, and I will never not do it, and I will take any opportunity needed to share this amazing practice with others. So thank you for this opportunity. Wonderful. And what brought you here to Sweden? I met a beautiful, tall Swedish boy in my third year university <laughs> and he was there for two years mm. and then he was going to move back to Sweden and do his PhD and I thought I had just gotten my teaching degree and I wanted to explore the world and I thought Sweden that sounds fun okay let's go to Sweden and I moved to Sweden and I you know did some teaching in Sweden and yeah 20 years later he two stayed. kids a house the whole <gasps> thing still here. Yeah, you're also a mom. <laughs> I am. I have two boys, 16 and 12, so that's fun. <laughs> are they are they practicing mindfulness with you at home? That is such an interesting question. You know, I because I got my training, I this practice came to me 5 years ago. So that was just the right time where I could bring it to my children. So I did and they were open to it, mm. but they're I I can say they're not super interested anymore, sadly, which is why I think it's so important that teachers are doing mm. this in school because <laughs> my own children don't want their mom to be their mindfulness instructor. Yeah. Mm. But I can see that those seeds are there. They, it's there. Yeah, the way they express themselves, the way they're able to respond to their, to their needs. I, I do think that in that short time that I was able to have with them and bring that practice to them, it's in there, mm. definitely. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah, they have you as a mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lucky them. <laughs> but I do I do like to think that seeds were planted. Just yeah. just like they were for me when I was young. Had you ever experienced mindfulness yourself prior to yes. What yeah. was your first introduction to mindfulness? Yeah, personally? it's it's funny how things start and then kind of evolve and 
become their own thing. So I grew up in a Catholic family and my parents used to do meditation with a sort of Christian meditation. And so that's my introduction to meditation was this Christian meditation where you have a mantra and you, you say it over and over again. And so my parents introduced that to my brother and I at a pretty early age. And I know, I don't think I ever connected to the religious aspect of the meditation, but I definitely from an early age appreciated that time out to just be. You know, we sat together, we had a little candle, and we would just be together with ourselves. And so I think that just always kind of stayed with me, even though I didn't, I didn't take it on as a, a teenager or a young adult. But when I started teaching, I was teaching a kindergarten class, and I had found this CD with some little visualizations, like little meditation visualizations, sort of a relaxation CD. And I just thought, well, I wonder what would happen if we did this, because these kids were so small and they were having these big days of school. And I just thought, you know what? These kids need a little downtime. So we put on this CD and some of the kids called it, what did they call it? Meditation, I think they called it. Can we have our meditation time? <laughs> and uh, so we would roll out a little, they all had their little towels and we would do different visualizations. And I mean, some of these little guys would fall asleep. They were so tired. And that that moment to pause and not do, to not be doing anything, to not be, you know, no expectations from anybody else, just a moment to be on their own. I mean, some of them would fall asleep and they really looked forward to it. And if, we, if it wasn't on the schedule, they would ask, are we doing meditation today? <laughs> they missed it. They did. Yeah. Was they they resist, about it. Did they resist it at the beginning? Or no. They were just, no, at that age, they were just like, yeah, let's play. Yeah. I think they kind of, it was kind of similar to maybe nap time mm. that they had in daycare. Um, but right, was, but at this age, they're usually not wanting nap time, right? No, they're, exactly. They're so, like and ready I to think, go. Yeah, we didn't call it nap time. We call it, you know, relaxation Medita time yeah. or meditation time or visualization time or even sometimes it was just story time, but a little bit of time to yourself. So, yeah. nope, there was no resistance on their side. And this was, you know, 15, 20 years ago before mindfulness was even on the map. Yeah. I just thought this is, this is something I think my students need. And so then, yeah, when my mindfulness and especially mindfulness for children and mindfulness in schools started to become more of a, a topic, I thought, yeah, this is something I want to I wanna investigate more. Amazing. What has changed in the last 20 years? You've been teaching now here in Gothenburg for 20 years. I wanted to really ask you, what have you been seeing? Have you been seeing any, are the kids more stressed out these days? Are they overworked? Are, they, are their attention spans shifting because this is a big 20 years, the invention of the iPad, the yeah. right? I mean, 20 years ago, did we have the iPhone? We had phones, but not in the way we have them now. No. Devices, technology. So, yeah, oh, what's, yeah, what's changed in 20 years? Oh, my gosh. So much has changed. So much has changed. And any other, you know, teacher or colleague that I talk to, unfortunately, every year we just think, ah, you know, we, we're seeing changes in our students' ability to focus and concentrate, to regulate their emotions, to handle difficulties, to persist and, and show resilience and perseverance when things get tricky. Um, and also, yeah, like the even the word stress is something that's coming up in the vocabulary of six and seven-year-olds. 
It's unbelievable. I don't, I don't think it was like that 20 years ago. Stress was something that maybe your parents felt sometimes. And now it's something that we're talking about with first graders. So yeah, I really feel that, you know, if I look back at 20 years and how things are changing, this to me feels more important than ever. Mm. And that's part of why I continue to do what I do and why I will always do it. It's needed. Yeah. So what is your, with mindfulness, what is the conversation about sort of behind the scenes amongst teachers, amongst school administrators? Yeah. So what's really exciting is that with the International Baccalaureate and the PYP curriculum, which is what I'm teaching Mm -hmm. at ISGR, Mm -hmm. mindfulness was added as a skill to be taught Mm. um, as part of the program, the curriculum, which is really exciting. So now not only, you know, can we be teaching it and we want to teach it, we should be teaching it. But I can, you know, we're not there yet. I don't think we're really there yet because it's not enough to just say, well, you need to do this. Like there's a lot that needs to be Mm. put together for the teachers and the students in order for it to be successful and to work well. Mm. Um, And I know in the Swedish section of our school, the national section, there's some very amazing and dedicated and passionate teachers who are also trying to bring this amazing practice to the students. But it really does, as anything else, comes down to leadership. If, mm. if leadership is not 100% behind it, and as in not just supportive of the idea, but making time and space and education and you know resources mm. and saying, this is important and we're, we're doing this, mm. then it's just going to be one of those things where you know, it's whichever teachers out of the goodness of their heart are, are putting that on the schedule. Mm. It needs to become a school-wide approach. Mm. How, how many years ago was it added to the actual skill set? Yeah, it came, that change was made in 2018. Five years ago. Yep, which is exactly when I started my training. Okay. So you started your training. How many other teachers were joining this training? Was it like, let's all do this or is there... So as far as becoming trained, certified mindfulness instructors, it was myself and another colleague who is now working in uh, an international school in Norway. And it was also our school nurse. Hmm. So together, the three of us kind of did our training. um, And then we took it upon ourselves to try to bring it through to our school. Hmm. And it was mixed. There was a lot of teachers that were like, yes, we need this and help me. And how do I get started? And we did some, some courses for the teachers, for the staff. And then, you know, I kind of through different trial and error and experience and what I've learned. And I have developed a classroom program that I have shared with colleagues and I have available to other teachers who might be interested in trying it out. It's just super user-friendly. It's made by a teacher for teachers. I'm in the classroom. I'm using my own program. Like that's how much I believe in it. Um, And so I have, I would say it's about half and half. Like some teachers have really taken it on board and say, I will never not do this. And then I have other teachers who aren't there yet. And it's, it's understandable. It's, Mm. you know, when we talk about resistance and and teachers, it's not because they don't want their students' concentration and behavior to improve, or they don't want their children, their students to be able to regulate their emotions. It's just about knowledge. Mm. How do I actually do it? Mm. And time. Right. And that's the biggest one. A lot of them just feel over... Teachers are overwhelmed these days. Yes. 
So, yeah. so they also need to learn what, educate themselves. What is it? And then how do I share it, implement it? And that's just another task on their list, right? That's, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's probably the biggest obstacle right. is time. Mm-hmm. There's no, there is no time. There's no time. We don't have time. We need to take time. Yeah. We have to take time from something else. That's mm-hmm. just the bottom line. And I always tell teachers who are interested in starting this practice, you will get the time back tenfold. If you put the time in in the beginning, you will get this time back Mm -hmm. by having students who are more focused, Mm -hmm. can concentrate better, can regulate their big feelings. I mean, I remember I felt... the, the, The class that I had the year that I started practicing mindfulness, the first class I had when I was practicing mindfulness, before I started practicing mindfulness with them, I was at that point in my career where I felt like I am not teaching. This is crowd control. Like Mm -hmm. this is just, I'm spending so much time after breaks dealing with high emotions and conflicts. Yeah, it was, I I didn't feel like I was teaching. And that was the very class then in, in the second half of the year when I started practicing mindfulness with these kids, all of a sudden, in March, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not dealing with problems after break, and I'm not helping these kids with their big emotions. Like, what's, what's changing? And of course, as the year goes on, they mature and they grow. But I think, <laughs> I think there is something, something else going on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How much of your day do you spend for these mindfulness practices within your classroom? I dedicate about 10 to 15 minutes. I would love to do it every day, but it usually ends up four times a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I dedicate. So I think everyone can, yeah, everyone can dedicate 10 to 15 minutes to help their children, their students regulate their nervous systems and practice focus and concentration. You will get that time back. Yes. (laughs) I love, and it stayed with me, some of the stories you shared when we first met about some of the specific tools you were implementing. And I loved this emotional intelligence board. I don't know what you call it, but there was this practice that you were doing when the kids come in in the morning, just simply asking them to share how they're feeling. I don't know if it was a word or a picture, but you had them tell us about that. What was that? It's probably this little poster that I have. And I had one of my super amazing, talented colleagues help me design it. Mm. And so it's a little poster that we have at the front of the classroom and each child has a little arrow with their name on it. And the poster has several different feeling words and little faces to go with these feelings. And so in my class, it's a practice. It's part of our morning routine. You do a little morning check-in. And so the students come in, they find their name with their arrow. They take a moment and think, how am I feeling just now? And then they put their their little arrow name on the feeling that they're feeling in the in that moment. And what I love about this is not only is it having children stop and think, how am I feeling? So that I'm bringing awareness to my experience and how I'm doing today. Mm. It helps me to then check in with any students who might check in as, I'm sad, I'm worried, I'm scared, I'm nervous. Because if I see that, and I, I make a practice of going over to that poster somewhere in the morning, then I can, I can find that student and say, hey, I noticed you're feeling sad today. Is it still like that? Or, and they'll say, 
yeah, yeah, I'm feeling sad. Okay, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, maybe later. And then, you know, we can find a time to, to talk about it. And maybe by the end of the day, it's changed. And maybe by the end of the day, it's still on their mind. And so we can take that time to, to talk about it. And it, I mean, I've uncovered anything from my bird died to my grandmother passed away to, you know, my dad's going abroad and I'm not going to see him for a long time to, you know, and these moments that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm. So yeah, it's a really... <laughs> and what I loved you shared is that the kids, they, I guess like you can almost think, is this embarrassing? Are they, are they open to sharing their feelings? And what did you say to that? I asked you that question. Oh, what did I say? I, I don't know, but I guess my answer to that would be, you know, feelings are okay. There's no, nothing wrong or embarrassing about our feelings and our feelings change all the time. And, and it's part of setting up that classroom where it's okay to talk about our feelings. And I think what you said is that they loved it. Yeah, they, they do. They do. <laughs> but they want to they want to check in. You know, they they think it's fun. They oh, and and even if they're feeling sad, I love that. They have somewhere to put that and to put a word on it, to just even contemplate for a moment and to have someone care. Yeah. And maybe then it just then maybe that whole emotion gets processed and then they can move on. Right? Exactly. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love that. I love what's happened this year for, that hasn't happened in the previous years. My class this year are so into this little poster that it's taking on a life of its own. So they're adding <laughs> new feeling words. Oh. And they've even written the word like awesome. So when they're feeling awesome, I, we didn't have awesome on the poster. Yeah. So now they've added awesome. They've added meh. Meh. Yeah. You know, that, you know like <laughs> when you're not really sure how you're feeling, yeah. like meh, not good, not great, just meh. So we have meh, and then we have a question mark when you don't really know how you're feeling, because right. some days are like that too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's really cool. They've, they've made it their own. And did you share what grade you're teaching right now? I'm teaching PYP4, which is great. So important, the work that you're doing. Thank you. How have you witnessed mindfulness positively impacting students' behavior in your experience? Have you seen any behavior changes? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, sometimes the changes I see can be so powerful and profound, but for the most part, it's very subtle. Mm -hmm. And it's not until I stop and reflect over their their little journeys or, or where we've started from that I start to to see some of these changes. And so, yeah, it's just their ability to start to name their big feelings, their big emotions, being open to talking about them. If they're not open to talking about them, responding in a way that feels good for them. So it might be to take a little break or read a book or draw a picture and until they can kind of soothe and, and calm themselves in order to like come back to the class and participate. And I just feel one of the main things is compassion so mm -hmm. compassion for themselves and compassion for others. And that's something that I explicitly teach through mm -hmm. mindfulness is compassion for myself and then compassion for others. Because I think we know bullying is, I mean, often kids who are not nice to other kids often don't feel very good about themselves. Mm. And so that's kind of where we start. I think also this is what I'm seeing is this trend of kids isolated behind a screen or they're not playing the way we used to yeah. when we were kids. So that's also something friendships have totally changed. Yeah. Do you have exercises that are practicing that 
compassion for another and helps seeing another person's Absolutely. emotions. Absolutely. Yeah. We even have one that's called kind of, I can't remember the title of it, but dealing with difficult people, basically. Mm-hmm. Like how, because we're going to come across yes. people that are difficult mm-hmm. and how do we deal with that? Right. Yeah. Can you highlight any specific success stories that illustrate the tangible benefits of introducing mindfulness into the classroom? Yeah, I have a few that I love sharing. Uh, yeah, so I had one student, I think this was probably the second year that I was doing mindfulness with my class. And she was a very kind of shy, introverted little girl. And during one of our practices, it was it was that practice of self-compassion. And we we one of the practices is that you you picture looking at yourself in a mirror and saying kind things to yourself. And after we did the practice, as always, we, we take a little time for reflection. The children can share what they noticed or anything that came up or anything that they wanted to share. And she was brave enough to share that she thought that that practice was really difficult, really challenging. Mm. And I said, yeah, yeah, tell me more about that. What, what, what made it so difficult? Well, I, f- I found it difficult to say nice things to myself. Yeah, a lot of us feel that way. We're not really used to doing it. Is there anything else you want to say about that? And she said, yeah, I found it difficult to say nice things to myself, especially this morning because I'd had a fight with my sister. So it didn't feel, Hmm. it, it, it felt hard to say nice things to myself after I'd been in a fight with my sister. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is a nine-year-old with more emotional intelligence than right. most of the adults that I know. Like, Because she actually connected it. Mm-hmm. So just that awareness mm-hmm. and being able to talk about it, mm-hmm. I just thought, oh my gosh, that is so amazing. And then I had another little guy in my class who had big emotions. He always had lots of big emotions, especially anger and frustration, and it wouldn't take very much to set this little guy off. And he was also someone who was struggling with their multiplication tables. Oh my gosh, those multiplication tables. We just have to learn them, right? So <laughs> we, we would do these little timed multiplication tests where the children have about a minute and 15 seconds to try to fill in 30 multiplication tests. And this kid could not get it. He was just stuck on the same one for weeks and weeks and he was so frustrated. And, <laughs> and so what I did is I before... Our, our next times table test, I decided to do a mindfulness practice around that. And we have this mindfulness language with the glitter jar and, you know, we settle our, we take a few breaths to settle our thoughts, to clear our mind, to help us, you know, think clearly. Mm. And I, I should add, this little guy was not interested in mindfulness. He was one of the ones that was kind of resistant to it. And mm-hmm. it, that's always the case, by the way, the kids who are most resistant to it are the ones who need it the most. Yep. <laughs> So he was not interested in our mindfulness practice, but he he went along with it. Mm. And so we kind of had this practice where we would take some deep breaths, we would clear our mind, we would calm our bodies, preparing ourselves for our multiplication quiz. And wouldn't you know, that was the first time that he managed to, to finish all of his tests and he succeeded and he mm. passed his test. And from that moment on, he was a believer. He was a believer. <laughs> and sometimes, is, yeah. yeah, the proof is in the pudding. So, so after that, I had him. And with, and I can share another little story about that same little guy who, yeah, with his big emotions, you know, there was a lot of you know conflict and things on the football pitch. And so one, one after break it was kind of towards the end of the year. Must have been May. He came in. 
from break from being on the football pitch and there were two little girls from another class who were very worked up about something that had happened on the football pitch and this little guy was there and they they shared their experience and he just said I understand how you feel I can understand that you would have felt that way so like <laughs> I know not judging not just I understand that that's how it felt for you right <laughs> Like extreme emotional intelligence. Oh. And, and I, I'm watching this interaction and these two little girls didn't know what to think because they know that little guy usually argues, you know, or argues defends, or, yeah. and defends yeah. and gets really worked up and sad and frustrated. Mm. And as they walked off, I overheard one of them say, <laughs> since when did he become so mature? <laughs> and then I had another little guy just last year with huge emotions, huge um, feelings, very could be quite aggressive and, and frustrated and angry. And there was one conflict, again, on the football pitch, lots of big emotions on the football pitch. So he came in and, and you know, I think part of what works so well with mindfulness in schools is when the teachers have their own practice because mm. we all know kids can't learn. If you're not a regulated adult, it's going to be hard for your, for the, your students to be regulated. So because of that and my own practice, I'm usually able to keep my cool and to be that calm, grounded adult in that situation when the kids are are needing that. And so we, we can kind of co-regulate. And so I kind of got him to a place where he was able to talk about what happened. And again, this self-compassion, like it's okay to make mistakes. Mm. It, it's okay. That's being a human. We all make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. It's okay. Mm-hmm. What's important is what you do next. Mm-hmm. And so once we took away the guilt and the shame and, and the fact that everybody, you know, all human beings make mistakes, he was able to move forward, fix the problem. And then he came back and he took his little arrow with his name and under his breath said, I feel proud. I was just going to say proud, that image of him succeeding at that math test and now succeeding at life. We talk about a lot in mindful parenting, self-esteem, self-confidence. So sometimes that self-confident kid that doesn't have that self-esteem because, you know, self-esteem is how we feel about ourselves and how we feel inside. Inside. It's that part we don't see. So that grows with this Mm self-awareness. And and I also thought about all the work that we're doing here at the Now with Adults. I mean, so much of it just traces back to that stuff that we couldn't process or digest when we were kids. We carry stuff. So if we can learn this young, if we can just learn and be with the emotion, just allow it to process. And then already on the other side of it, if they can just get that space to put a word on how they're feeling, maybe have another being, another human being care, allow them to make sense of it, then they're free. Yeah. Then they can go out on that. I like that you're calling it a football pitch. <laughs> I've never, yeah. the big football field that That's, I asked you. Yeah. But they can go out and play yeah. and be free or be present or on to the next thing, yeah. not carrying that burden. Exactly. Yep. Mm. In what ways does incorporating mindfulness practices contribute to a positive and inclusive school culture? Have you seen how this practice can bring the kids together and become more inclusive? Yeah, and now I'm thinking about that question through the lens of my own little class. Mm. Um, But yeah, just again, I think it's that acceptance of self and others and that I I accept people for who they are. I don't make other people's issues or, or things mine. And then also just, yeah, compassion. I treat other people 
with compassion in the way that I want to be treated? It's kind of tricky to answer when I'm not always sure how much of this is being done around the school. But I guess when we think about inclusion and everyone feeling like they have a place, like maybe the fact that this practice is for everyone and it might not, just like how we teach, it's not going to look the same for everybody and we meet the children where they are. Not all children are ready to sit on the floor cross-legged for five minutes and focus on their breathing. So we, we meet them where they are, we take it slow, and we build it up. We build up the practice. And some kids won't ever get there in your little year lifetime with them, but you hope that you're kind of planting these seeds for, for life. And if it doesn't stick with them, you know, in their school career, that maybe as an adult, if they go through something, hopefully they'll think... You're planting the seed, aren't yeah. you? And it's funny because we actually brought, uh, just as a bring your parents to school day, Norvi and I went to our son's class and taught a mindfulness session with yeah. them. And I've heard a lot of adults that have come in here to work with us that they say, my journey started when I was eight years old at school and some teacher or somebody brought me this experience. Mm. And I rem- it stayed with me forever. Mm. And then that seed is planted. Yeah. So that that ripples and that changes, that creates like a reference point. And I think kids are so close to it. That's what's so fun. When we went and we brought this mindfulness session into the class, they were so close to already being there. And the the invitation was like, yes, please, right? It's like, close your eyes. They want to go there. They're not so conditioned yet. They still are, that veil of like dreamland and and reality is still a little thinner than as we become so um, fixed, right? Oh my gosh, totally. I could not agree more. And that's the thing. Sometimes people think, but can can I do mindfulness with with five and six-year-olds? Yes. Yeah. And in fact, we could learn a lot from five and six-year-olds mm-hmm. as far as being in the present moment. There's right. something that happens as we age where we we get away from that, but children are born mindful. Yeah. They're just exploring mm-hmm. the now and, and what's what's happening in this moment. And as we as we age, it it leaves us. Mm-hmm. So we we need to make that conscious effort to keep it with us and, and to keep that practice going for them so that they don't lose what they innately have. Mm-hmm. And as we learn too, as adults, what when we want to cultivate something outside, we work on ourselves. And I see this also with parenting. A lot of parents are so invested in their children. Yeah. So they come here trying to learn parenting skills. How can I be a better parent? And then mm-hmm. we just do the first, we close our eyes and turn around because it starts with us, right? So we we work on ourselves, our children benefit. So I can see that also, I imagine these kids are learning these skills. Everyone's going to start to benefit around because when they learn emotional resilience and emotional intelligence, learning how to take long, slow, deep breaths and calm down to to act and not react all the time to, I love all these things that you've already shared, learning when we make mistakes, it's okay. Then suddenly you see yourself in the other. Yeah. So you can also, oh, you're having a hard time you know, can I help you? It's, mm. You're just going to have more compassion. Mm. You, mm. Yeah, and exactly what you said about, you know, parents and children. Parents are so interested and want to help their children. But really, maybe mm. we need to start with us. <laughs> That's exactly my message with teachers yes. and schools. Yes. And it's a it's a hard one to sell sometimes mm. because, yeah, we, we want all the things to, like, help our students. Mm. But honestly, I think having a teacher that is grounded and present and, able to like be compassionate in those tough things and not make it about them, 
that is just, that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how many fun little activities you have. If you can't be that grounded, present adult in the room Mm -hmm. when your kids are having a hard time, Mm -hmm. none of that other stuff is going to matter. So I do, I do have my, my classroom program and I happily, you know, have it available to anyone who wants to use it, but really it's free with my teacher course because I just think that's where we need to start. Mm -hmm. And teaching is, it's a tough gig. Mm -hmm. And if we don't look after ourselves, if we don't have the tools and strategies to take care of ourselves, it will, it will knock us off our feet. (laughs) Yeah. Now more than ever. I honor all of the teachers out there because they're working so hard. They're so overworked and it's it, it's easier than they think, right? To have some of these skills that can allow them to feel less stressed, be more present and to have more uh, leadership yeah. within the classroom. Yeah. Oh, please teachers take advantage of this. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. How would you address any potential challenges or skepticism from parents or educators that might be unfamiliar with mindfulness practices for children? Yeah, that's a great question and amazingly I have not encountered very much resistance from parents. Mm-hmm. If anything parents have said thank you for mm. teaching my children these these important skills and strategies. Um, I did have a family one year who, for religious reasons, did not want their children to participate. And so that was an opportunity for me to educate them that mindfulness is not a religious practice. It just isn't, you know, mindfulness is being in the present moment. There is no religion that has monopoly over being in the present moment. This is just our biology. It's what we're made for. And I heard once a really fun analogy about this. When you're watching a football game, so you're playing football and one of the players scores a goal and they have different ways to celebrate. Some of them, you know, start dancing, they have a funny dance or they, they pray or they put their hands up in the air. And so my, a mindfulness practice is a little bit like that. Like mindfulness is the game. It's for everybody. Everybody can play. And, but what you choose to bring to it is up to you. If you would like to bring in a little bit of your religion, or you can, but it's also just about being in the present moment. Mm. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, parents have just been super supportive. Um, as far as colleagues, yeah, we kind of talked about that. It's more just about, there's, there's not a lot of resistance from colleagues. I would say it's just about time and just the knowledge, like how do I, how do I start this? We get a lot of, um, at the now, with the word meditation has taken a long time to be accepted. Mindfulness was yeah. a much safer word. Yeah. But I think now it is more and more uh, accepted to say mm. that we meditate and we do share at the now that meditation is a practice yeah. that time in. And just like you shared, your practice is to close your eyes and know who you are. Yeah. And once you do that, you're going to learn more about your beliefs around religion and, yeah. and all of these big questions that we have in this knowingness and deeper their connection to yeah. whatever it is they believe in. Yeah. But I think now the world is changing so much and education is changing mm-hmm. with technology and, and the way we're learning is changing and the way I was raised, right? The bell rings, we line up, we do what we're told, right? Mm. And now we're moving into this um, yeah. asking more questions, more coaching and guiding yeah. and helping them find the Sort answers. of mentoring, yeah. We, we In our school, we don't really call ourselves teachers, we're more mentors. Mm. So we're, we, we have a class that we mentor 
And yeah, that's why I love the PYP program because there's so much with like student agency and having children make the, make those choices, but it's not a free for all. Like we're, they're still learning and their brains are developing. So they need that guidance. But just for me, it's like trust. You're, you're trusting them to do the right thing and to make the right choices. And if they don't, it's because they need help. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're intentionally trying to be, you know, mean to someone else or not focusing on their work. They need help with that. And again, this comes it's always coming back to my own practice. You know, five years ago, teacher me, before I started practicing mindfulness, I would make my students' behavior about me. It was, I can't control them, or they're doing this to me because they don't like me. Or mm, now, personally. Yeah. Mm. And that would make it worse. And mm. like, it wouldn't help. And I'd get really stressed and frustrated. And now I approach it with these are in little individuals mm. navigating the world, growing up. It's hard. They need compassion and they need help. Mm. And I, thankfully, have some of those tools to help them. Yeah. What an amazing mind shift for all the teachers yeah. that may be listening to this, right? Yeah. It's true to carry that burden. Oh, it's and to feel- so that has been one of the most transformative things for me as a professional. Like this, this is personal development and professional development. Mm. And also just, you know, parents too, like, you know, when I was a, a, a new teacher, I would just lose sleep if I got a, a, an email from a parent and I would pick it apart and I would make it so personal. And now I know, I remind myself, we're in this together. They yeah. want what's best for their child and so do I. So yeah. if I have that in my head, you can't go wrong. And if I get a nasty email, which I very rarely do, mm. I also know that's not about me. Right. They're having a bad day. They're having a bad time. They feel misunderstood. They're lacking self-compassion. It's not about me. And that has been so liberating. That's why I will never not do this. And that has to do with the mindfulness practices. Yes, 100%. Amazing. Oh, I love that. So from your perspective, what are the long-term benefits for students who are exposed to mindfulness early on? Yeah, and this kind of comes back to what I said before is, I, you know, it's hard. I don't always know what the children take away from their time with me. But I do get occasional emails from former students, and mindfulness is always part of it. It's mm. so nice to, to get emails from former students or their families to say, you know, they're, they're doing this at my child's new school and we're so grateful for the foundation that they got with you to they're not doing it and I really wish that they were because it's so important. And then, that yeah, from, from students saying, I've kept this, I've, I've kept doing this. Please send me some of your templates. <laughs> they actually like, I'm following you. And it's so, it's so nice. And, but also just that I, like this is also my practice is like letting go and trusting that if they do, if they don't continue the practice after they um, after they leave my classroom, it's okay because I've planted those seeds. And if they come to a point in their life where they might need something, some self-contemplation, some time, some stress management, that they'll remember that and they'll remember that that's there for them mm-hmm. because it's in there. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was for me. I mean, I, I took my meditation practice that I got from my parents and I made it my own mm. and I rediscovered it in my early adulthood. Mm. So yeah, it's it's 
It's really interesting. But I think some of the major benefits are, yeah, just, you know, again, self-compassion. Because when we feel good about ourselves, we can feel, you know, we can be there for others. And that's the world that we want to live in. Awareness of self. So checking in with yourself because, you know, that's how we prevent burnout, right? Burnout is people who have just been doing, doing, doing and haven't stopped to listen to their bodies. And then the bodies just say, stop, no mm-hmm. more. I'm going to make you stop. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and also just that, you know, you can do hard things and it's okay to be bored. Like this is something I could go on and on about, but like this is a huge lesson that my my students... Talk about that for a oh, minute. Oh, it's so good. Because yeah, no, not everyone, I don't want to paint a picture that it's all rainbows and unicorns in my, in my mindfulness practice in my classroom because it's not, we have children who don't enjoy it, but they're very sweet. Like they, they do it. And if anything else, they appreciate, you know, 10 minutes of just downtime. Mm-hmm. But after, you know, like I, I shared already, after every practice, we do a little reflection and you can share anything you want, anything you noticed, anything that came up, any anything that you want to share and... And so I did have one student say, that was boring. <laughs> and I said, like, no judgment. Yeah. Tell me, you know, tell me more about that. No, I just felt like, tiny, you know, nothing was happening and I was bored and I just wanted to start moving. Yeah. You know, it can be really uncomfortable to be bored because especially children your age, are, you're not bored anymore. And the second you are bored, maybe you grab a, an iPad or a phone or video games or you do something or you're shipped off to one of your activities or you have homework to do. Children these days are so rarely bored that it is a feeling of discomfort. Mm. And so practicing getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think, is a huge benefit because if we can get children to focus on something as boring as their breath... <laughs> Imagine what that can do for math lessons mm. or reading groups or homework. Mm. So just, you and know. The other side of that boredom is imagination, isn't it? Yes. Like I remember taking long car rides and just looking out the window and you get bored for a minute and then suddenly you move through that boredom and there's, there's magic on the other exactly. side. Exactly. And that's what we talk about too. Mm. Boredom is the birthplace of creativity. Mm. If you are not bored, you don't have the space to be creative. Mm. So that's that's part of it too. Is 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 being bored dangerous? No, they say no. It's is it uncomfortable? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So being bored is not dangerous. It's a little bit uncomfortable, and it's the birthplace of creativity. Mm. So as your teacher, I care about your brains, and we're going to take a little bit of time each day to be a little bit bored mm. and to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and we practice boredom in our household. I'm yeah. like, let's be bored yeah. now for a little while. Yeah. So um, do you, you've already shared a little bit. Is there anything more you want to share about the programs that you offer on the mindfulteacher.co? Um, right now, yeah, it's, I'm mostly focusing on my teacher course, which is a six-module course for teachers that takes them through how to start mindfulness practice for themselves. And the way it's set up is that uh, it's mostly online and you get a new module every two weeks. So you have two weeks to work through each module. And then we meet up four times digitally just to kind of talk about how it's going. I lead the teachers through some practices. We can talk about our experiences, our reflections. 
and any questions that come up. And then at the end of that course for teachers, I offer a classroom implementation. So now that you have your own practice and you're feeling good and grounded and solid in your own mindfulness practice, let me help you bring it to your students in your classroom. So we have an hour and a half uh, classroom implementation. And then teachers who take my course are given my classroom program. So they have everything they need to bring that amazing science-backed, peer-reviewed practice to their own students. And yeah, I, I mean, I have a few little freebies out there if there's anyone that's interested and kind of wants to check out what I do, um, little templates that you can, you know, print off and have in your classroom. Yeah. And I'm so excited because here at the Now, we're going to be hosting a workshop with you starting in January this winter. And it's going to be an eight session course called Mindful Kids. Yes. Tell us about that. I'm so excited. Yes, I'm going to be doing an eight week course for children, for mindful children. And just as I would do in my own class, although now it's going to be a smaller group with more time. So we're really going to be able to dive deep into each theme and really have time for each child to like share their thoughts and experiences and ask questions and connect with each other. So yeah, it's going to be really good. We're going to, you know, there's an hour, we're going to meet together, we're going to check in with each other. How's our week been? How's our day going? I'm going to focus on one theme each week. Then we'll do a mindfulness practice connected to that theme. And then there'll be a little bit of a kind of follow-up activity that the kids can do. And we'll also do a little home connection. So uh, um, yeah, there'll be some practices that parents can bring into the home so that it doesn't just happen at the now. We also bring it home with us. So downloadables and tools for practice in between. Yeah. And guided pre-recorded mindfulness audio files so that the kids can practice at home too. So wonderful. So if you want to learn more about that, we'll have it listed on our website. You can check our events page for Mindful Kids. And we're so excited about that. Thank you so much, Karen, for being here with us today. I'm so excited about this <laughs> Mindfulness Kids program that we're launching here together. And I am so excited about the work that you're doing because I am passionate about this, this need. And you're just doing such beautiful work. So thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Tara. And thank you for this collaboration. I'm so happy that I reached out to you. You never know how these things are going to land, but yeah, good things are coming. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs>